0: Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Ultra Pro Max. We have recorded now 10 episodes, and this may be the first one you listen to as an audience. It may be the 10th, depending on what we decide to do with our backlog. We've just been playing with this. This is the podcast where we talk about app development and really, in some ways, product development from design to engineering. We'll throw all that in. And then about our interest in the Apple ecosystem as a whole with hardware and software. Above me, on the little Brady Bunch squares, we have Sadia. Say hello. Hello. Below me, we have Luke. Say howdy, or however you like to intro yourself. (laughs) (laughs) Howdy, y'all. It's good to be here. All right. We've got a couple of topics. I'm going to try something new. I'm going to try to introduce what the topics are, and we'll see if we hold ourselves to it. We might just cut this part if it doesn't make sense, but I I kind of like that. A couple of things we want to go through today. A thought about product requirements, how we build a feature. That's something that I I want to hear some of your thoughts on that. I want to talk about a couple of app updates that have come out. An app in particular that I really liked and maybe some rumors regarding hardware. So we'll jump in. The first topic, I have been working on a feature for an app. The feature, the way we stumbled into it, the the feature was ill-defined. And I worked on it for a number of weeks and got to a point where we just had a, hey, let's talk about this as a team, and we're going to scrap it and Go very simple, modify, and just go back to basics on the feature. It's on the whole team. It's partly on me because I could have said, hey, why are we going in circles so much? Let's just kind of check in. But I'm curious, if you guys are going to build out a feature, what is a way that you, you... You'll sometimes design and develop with both of you, depending on what you're doing. But before you submit anything to code or before you start building out a feature. How do you process requirements from a stakeholder? And I'll start with you, Luke. Uh, I mean, this is kind of tough uh,
1: for me to answer since most of what I've been doing has been like really small stuff. And it's kind of, you know, the features in and of themselves are kind of no brainers. It's like, okay, yeah, this is what I want to create. This is this makes sense. It's kind of like the use case is there before. Uh, like the features almost there is in tandem with the use case. So I just go about putting it straight to code. Sorry, that's not the most help them. yellow. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's not the greatest like waterfall development, but they're not
0: paying me to think I'm just yeah. going to build this. <laughs> exactly. I mean, there's small
1: enough features too that like if it's terrible, like I can change it relatively quickly as well.
0: What about, and I want to come to Saudi again in a minute, but Luke, if you're, what if you're building out your own app or what are ways that you think about what's going to go in release one, release two, or there, do you just start making or do you have a a method that you try to approach
1: when we when we come up with an app like i have business partners with both of my apps when we talk about them we kind of say okay here's essentially what the ethos of the problem we want the app to solve right and there's a million different ways you can go with that so we just start brainstorming a ton of different features that kind of go towards that goal and then once we have a ton of things on paper then we just go and say, "Okay." we kind of look at it as a whole, and then we can kind of get an idea of what the core problem is. And then we have a good idea of what the MVP should be and how it should solve that core problem first. There's a lot of different ways that you can, you know, make people's lives easier around that core problem. But just looking at the big list of features and then cutting it out, finding those features that are just core MVP features, and then tackling those uh, is, is really the best way that we found. And then once we have it Once we have that MVP built, then we just tweak it, modify it, and then add to it. A pretty basic approach, honestly. Don't you ever just like build
2: build stuff for fun? You know, like, oh, interactive widgets. That sounds cool. I might do that. Even if nobody wants it, you know? Yeah, I have to.
0: What about you, Sadio? How do you approach it? And I guess it depends if you're doing it for a client, for yourself, for fun. Yeah, I
2: mean, I I feel for you, Joshua, like doing that sort of situation with client work and especially when it's contract based and you're like, oh, am I going to keep my contract? It was all their fault. But, but, you know, like it ends up being uh, the blame stuck with the designer. I guess what I usually do is I start by telling them it's a bad idea. That's one of my favorite things to do is is, to, is to tell people, no, your idea sucks. It's a lot of fun. You should try it. So, okay. So recently I had a client who said, you know what our customers are telling us? Our customers are telling us that they want to put this AI chat bot in the corner of WordPress uh, so that people using WordPress can chat with an AI to get help with their WordPress. You know, I put on the GitHub discussion. Oh, this sounds cool, but I just don't think anyone's going to use it. It's not, you know, it's not going to work And for all of these reasons. I won't go into it. And they were like, yeah, you're probably right, but let's do it anyway. All right. All right. I said, well, instead of doing it, what I'll do is I'll do a discovery. And I spent you know, maybe like a week just exploring the idea, making sure that it was technically feasible. But also what I was really doing is, can I come up with something better in just a short amount of time that's like, what they really want, maybe actually in a in a way that people might use. And I did. I came up with like this awesome idea. Instead of having a chat bot, I got rid of the whole like back and forth response entirely and just had it so that like you you want to change a setting? Well that's what you want to do in WordPress, rather than saying, Hey, how do I change my permalinks? And then it's saying, here's the steps on how you can change your permalinks. Instead I just put like a spotlight thing. Spotlight search bar, and how do I change my permalinks? And then it just comes up with a drop down with three or four options. You want to change your permalinks? Click here, and they're changed. You know what I mean? And there's no like chat involved. It was just, we were still using AI. So the customer, anyway, they replied and they're like, this is a great concept. Let's do the chat box anyway. Ah. So then I just did the chat box, and it sucked, but at least at that point, it was no longer my fault. You know?
0: One thing you've described in. I think this actually could be a good recurring topic if it interests our listeners about building products. There's a lot of challenges you run into, and I'm realizing another one is when you build to a spec with a stakeholder, but then you find out there's another stakeholder behind those stakeholders that you weren't talking to all along, that's also a problem. And I've had that a number of times in my career. I had a a job years ago where I would spend time really working with my manager and we'd kind of figure it out, hone it down. And then my manager's boss would come in and say, well, I don't know what you've all been doing the last couple of weeks, but scrap all this. We're going to start over, or this is all ridiculous. And one of the key things I've learned, and I still mess this up occasionally, is don't start designing something until you truly know who the stakeholders are and you have buy-in from all of them because you're going to have a bad time otherwise. So this is turning more into a therapy session for myself. So thank you. I've got a follow-up topic that's somewhat related. In the past, I had a a team that came to me with a challenge. Uh, can you completely design an app in two weeks? Make it good enough that we can ship to the app store. And I was talking to someone recently about another idea. They're like, well, could, could an app be designed in one week? Because I was telling them about that story. And that got me thinking. Are we talking about designed or designed and, de- and developed and all of the assets made o- and everything? Only designed. Designed where a developer is ready, could take a Figma file the day after that and start breaking it down. And I've been thinking about that challenge. Could I design an app in a week from first bullet point list out to a developer ready? And I think I could. That's just been sitting on me all over the weekend. I've been kind of processing it because... If the point of an app, and maybe this is something that could lead into all of us as we think through fun app ideas ourselves, indie apps, is the point of most apps should be, will someone open it and tap on the first screen? Then will they tap on the second screen, the third, the fourth, the fifth? Where do they drop off? That's all that matters for the first version of an app. And one of the founders I worked with last year, he said something that kind of stuck with me. It's, Joshua, I I don't even care if we don't have a proper uh, payment page. I want to know if someone's willing to click the final button to pay me. Once they see the price, once they've seen the ICP, it's called the ideal customer profile, once they've gone through the sign up, if they're just willing to click that button, it could fail for all I care because that data will tell me enough if I have an app worth paying for. And so that kind of stuck with me you could spend three weeks getting payments set up just perfect or so all that comes around to with that goal in mind i think i could design an app in a week so i'm curious how you guys think about that how where that hits you and I'll, I'll start with you uh luke again
1: yeah so you're just saying like how how far into the app like how are you defining an app because if you're just saying okay just to the
0: screen that is the payoff button like realistically it's um splash screen onboarding steps sign up initial home screen with what the initial product is, account screen, profile screen. And the home screen needs to have something that within a minute or two they can accomplish. If it was a little simple app that had you just read something, uh, I'm thinking that core interaction it's something that is incredibly simple. It's mostly, let's say, reading data. It's not interacting. It's not a social media platform, nothing like that. So if you have like 10 screens and that core interaction is dumping some kind of data for them to read, I think that kind of app could be done in a week.
1: Yeah. I mean, a lot of that's just overhead kind of template stuff that you would put into most of your apps. It's just the home screen and like some of the onboarding steps that are unique. So yeah, easily a week. You could, I mean, I don't know what your process is, but
2: seems like three days maybe that that's kind of what i'm curious about well if you're using figma maybe i really have have like changed my thinking on design I, obviously i'm a developer first and a designer second so maybe it's a little bit different for me but i actually want to design all of my apps without using figma at all without touching figma i i want to believe that figma is like Uh, thing of the past it's like photoshop you know nobody uses that anymore and instead i want to do all my design in swift and use swift ui to prototype and design and mess around with and do real functional design with code Uh, produce 20 different iterations of an idea and actually touch around and actually what a good metaphor is like i i found that when i was working on this amber hour app that i've been working on i've been doing it i'd been doing it in the simulator you know always in the simulator build tested in the simulator build tested in the simulator and when i got it on my actual phone things were completely different right they just felt entirely like a different experience and i changed a whole bunch of stuff and i think design is the same actually is when you're in figma things might seem right but when you actually go to implement it in code it's a completely different experience and when you get it on device it's a different experience again i don't know if i agree with the premise of like this delineation between design and development like can you design an app in a week. I I think you can. And if you're using Swift UI, you're already halfway to actually developing the
0: app too. Uh, Under the example I'm thinking about, it is for a developer to take that and code it. in. in this case, React Native or Swift UI. The first thing I ever do with an app is I sketch it out. I just start, I look at 10 other apps in the marketplace and sketch out by hand what I think the app is supposed to look like. That to me is far more freeing than touching anything on a keyboard. And if I was a good enough developer, I probably would never open Figma at that point. And if I had a good relationship with another developer, I might say, hey, let's never open Figma either. Th- that's just not been the reality of most projects I've been on. I've had a couple projects in the past where the developers were like, oh, just give me the sketch. We've got a component system. I'm just going to throw that in. I'll show you some code in a couple of minutes, and then I'm exaggerating, but I'll show you some code and then modify it. I think you are onto to something, Sadia. I have found that even if I use Figma... Where I pull it up, by the way, the Figma mobile app is really good because you can see proper sizes. That helps some. Don't use Figma on the desktop. Use it on mobile or preview everything on mobile.
2: No, those are great thoughts. Unless you want to comment on something and and then the Figma
0: mobile app is a real pain. Yes. One of my favorite ways to get feedback from a team is to record a video of me showing my screens that way they can pause on the second and drop in a couple of comments. That's actually really helpful that I'm like, oh, when I made this statement and showed this screen, this is what they're responding to. So I've actually been using a loom a ton in the last couple of years for that. Yeah, loom lets you do that. Yes. Comment on a second. Yes. I had a video I recorded recently that I had a bunch of segments and I was getting feedback from someone and he had to like, I checked back, he had to pause on the half second because i jumped so quickly but he did it and then he dropped in a comment that i was able to follow so that was great did i share with you guys the pixel pals video last week i can't remember it's been a long weekend i don't think so but i also i think i know what you're talking about here. this is all, all right. new to me. while i talk about it let me see if i can find it for you guys this is amazing so i actually deleted it that's just a thing i do you're talking about this app
2: i think you're talking about this app from what was the name of that twitter client christian selig who made apollo apollo that's right so he's i you'll you'll be more familiar but i I think i
0: read an article in passing and was so tempted to install but i didn't quite get to it so the the guy who made the apollo reddit app is a fantastic indie designer and developer he's one of those that can do it all and i've just enjoyed following him for the last couple of years especially with the recent um, Reddit blow-up that happened earlier this spring. Reddit changed their API, they changed their API terms in, with a very short time frame that Apollo, one of the most popular third-party apps, uh, ended up just dropping out of the App Store because it would cost too much. So there's a bunch of context, a bunch of follow-up. but short. Basically, long story short, this guy lost all of his revenue, but he happened to have a little side project called Pixel Pals. And so he's like, all right. And it's a little app that puts basically a little Tamagotchi or Pokemon type of creature on your iPhone that just bounces around in a widget. And now he has no full-time job anymore because he lost his main app that he built. So he's just been poking around in Pixel Pals for the last 60 days, and he released it last week. So I downloaded it and started playing around with it. And it is... It reminds me of when the iPhone first came out. It was the Wild West of crazy ideas. Like, I don't know if you saw the beer bottle that you would turn upside down or the phone you'd throw your iPhone up in the air and then try to catch it. It's just the stupid... (laughs) What a callback. Fantastic (laughs) stuff. And so Christian is playing with interactive widgets and basically just throwing a bunch of stuff against the wall. So I went through and tried out a bunch of these interactive widgets. And he has a full video game as an interactive widget on the iphone so you have your little character that you tap with tiny little cursor icons to move up or down through this little world and it goes on an adventure and it's basically like pokemon the original pokemon 2d so i'm just blown away by what he has done with an interactive widget it's so inspirational that's so. that's what i wanted to bring up um was curious if either of you had seen that
1: no that's sick i'm going to actually go update my phone now so I can download it.
2: I I try and keep stuff on my phone that isn't going to distract me and make me waste (laughs) all my time all the time. So I don't know. That's the only thing holding me off. It looks awesome. I love There's like it's not just games, you know. It's it's other just weird, cool widgets. Like the fidget spinner looks like it's going to just drain all of my battery because I just sit on it all day.
0: Just install it for a day because there's just ideas that started popping up into my head as I was playing this. Where I'm, re- wait. You could do this with an interactive widget. What? That's even possible. How, how did Christian do this? <laughs> so, just on that front alone, the app is worth uh, checking. A couple dollars his way for the inspiration. I think there's a free version as well. That just really was one of the most inspirational things I saw on the whole iOS design front in the last week. That's sick. How has he monetized it, or has he really? It was before a. Hey, if you like this developer. Feel free to do a lifetime purchase, and I did. I just wanted to help him out, so I did a lifetime purchase. I get whatever he always makes. I don't know his monetization model at the moment. I think it's if you want to use your interactive widgets, you pay a subscription, but I'm not sure. What do you think of all these everything being a subscription? Like every little app is.
2: I get it. Like I think I would charge a subscription for something. You know, if I if I were to release on the App Store some app or whatever, I would almost certainly. Every time I'm coming up with an idea for an app, it's always a subscription.
1: Yeah, I saw an article that, like, the iPad, uh, if you pick up an iPad in an Apple store, if you have all, the full subscription for all the apps that they're promoting on that iPad, it's like 200 a month. That's nuts. So,
2: like, how do you afford it? <laughs> like, how do you afford it? Do you Do you have a subscription for a bunch of apps? Like, what about podcasts? What about all of that sort of stuff? You know, everything's, I don't know. Maybe there needs to be some sort of bundling.
0: I'm gonna probably do this a lot, Luke. Uh, I'm gonna put on the old man Joshua hat, which I never thought I would be in. Beautiful, um, but <laughs> I remember you need an actual hat, Joshua. <laughs> yes. You need to get it and just leave it by your by your desk there. I still feel like I'm 19 years old, just for the for the record. Don't we all? I remember when Adobe made the transition to subscriptions, and that was this massive shift. I think it was. Oh, Sadia, help me out. Was this 2009? It's been a while now. I'm still angry at them about it. <laughs> it went from I would pay three to $700 for all the Adobe stuff I needed once every three or four years. I was around long don't enough. Don't lie, Joshua. Don't lie. It went from I would pirate this to now I have to find something new. <laughs> I admit, I started out at 13-year-olds pirating everything. Once I started making money off it, I got. I'm like, all right, I'm making now... I'm starting a career out, I'll, I'll find. I'll buy the stinking thing. So I did buy it after pirating for several years. <laughs> but when they shifted to the subscription model, I actually appreciated it because I'm this freelancer making maybe a couple grand a month on some of my work, and it's really hard to get the latest software that's maybe a $1,000 for the whole package, but I can afford $50 a month if clients are bringing in anything. So that's that actually did help me a lot. But then everyone did it. Every app does it. I'm wondering if there's going to be a return to baseline at some point with apps where I appreciate things from Bohemian Code. Cultured Code. Cultured Code. They charge 50 bucks, and that's version 3 of the app. And in a couple of years, they'll have version 4. They'll charge another $50. I happily pay that. That is, I appreciate that so much. Yeah, it's not too different from a subscription, really, but it's sort of a
2: guaranteed that you're going to get new features and better support and all of that sort of thing. So it's a similar, very similar model, but it seems to
0: land a little easier on the wallet somehow. I don't know. There's something about not thinking I'm going to have to be paying for this month in and month out, and it does feel like it could be mine forever, practically speaking, because of hardware constraints. It's not mine for more than about three or four years, but it feels better because... The cost is up front. I'm done. And maybe I'll not even need this app in a couple of years.
2: But it doesn't work for service apps, right? Anything that is using an API or providing a service. like, So So I'm, I'm planning a big caravanning trip for next year. Right, We're going to go up north through Queensland and see the dinosaur trails and all sorts of things with the kids. It's going to be good. There's been recently some controversy over this free camps at wiki app that was bought by one of the caravan parks and so we were having this discussion on sunday what if we built a new free camps app right that's not the sort of thing that you can just release uh you know what i mean by free camp by the way it's like a community sort of uh wiki experience where you say oh this place you can camp there for free and maybe they have like dump points, maybe they have water where you can fill, fill up, maybe they have toilets, and you can list all that on the wiki. And so now it's bought by a caravan park, and people are sort of freaking out about that, and so like, you can't provide that that without charging
0: a monthly fee. You can't just sort of say, because it's a service. This is what Casey Liss ran into with Call Sheet. It pulls from a movie database, and he was thinking of doing a one-time purchase. And I, I heard him dithering back and forth with his co-hosts on the podcast, Accidental Tech Podcast, about it. And the thing he ran into is if the API is currently either free or a very reasonable price, but if the API costs money in the future and he has a lifetime licenses locked on his customers, that will destroy his business model. So he does charge $9 a year which gives him plenty of profit margin right now because of the API. But if the API does charge in the future, he has um, a bit of a safety check in place. So that is correct. If you're using a third-party API or anything other than maybe hosting fees, uh, subscription does make sense.
1: Yes, you're talking anything with hosting. Well, maybe not hosting, you said, but anything with a database, anything with any kind of like cloud computing that you have to do. Just have a – even if it's a really cheap – Subscription model, then you just have the freedom to bump it later. That's smart.
0: How do you guys feel about the subscription subscription model attempts on uh, cars, where you buy a car and you pay to unlock the heated seats, even though it's already functionally there in the hardware, but it's a subscription? That's so stupid. I, I'm actually no, I'm all for it. <laughs> I think I think every car
2: company should lean heavy into this. You can't be serious. I don't. I don't. know I, I'll tell but you but why. The hardware's there
1: already. They've already paid for it.
2: Exactly. Exactly. Don't tell anyone <laughs> because what we can do is we're software developers. We can hack the cars, pay less, uh, and get all of the features for free. Fair enough, I suppose.
0: <laughs> all right. This has been the uh, this has been a b- battle with John Deere for about twenty years. Um, I used to have a relative that worked at John Deere, so I got to learn about this and farmers have this ridiculous thing where the hardware is locked under a subscription and they have to wait for a service agent to come out. Uh, by the way, Sadia John Deere is a massive tractor manufacturer in America. An international one, in fact. Okay, yeah. inter- internationally. so <laughs> keeping John Deere over here. <laughs> <laughs> I, all right, that's. Keep John Deere American. <laughs> oh, my word. Yeah. That's a good point. um We can just always pirate our hardware. Well, why not? We do it with our software. We mess with our hardware, too. I will say uh, the last time I pirated any software was when I bought one of the SNES classics, the Nintendo SNES classics that came out. And it was that tiny, cute little box. And I'm like, well,. It's only got 16 games on it. I remember playing hundreds of games, so I I did a little bit of pirating, and I loved it. When I got into um, the, I'm going to say it wrong, but I think it was the ROM that when you connect it to your Mac to then update the emulator to put on more uh, ROMs. There was a little notice with a smiley face that basically was—it was a wink from Nintendo recognizing you were going to do this. Uh, I just remember there was like a little one-liner that some developer put in there, knowing I was going to do that, and I—that was cool. But I, that's the last time I pirated because whenever I try, I don't. My knowledge is fifteen years old, so I ended up just running into a bunch of spam, and I've never wanted—I've never figured out how to do it. <laughs> yeah, I—I'm not really. Uh, pirating very often
2: except I think that it's going to make a resurgence I mean we don't really do we want to take a a detour into like streaming services and things like that I don't think we do but you know I
0: I suspect that kids these days are gonna learn to pirate effectively I think with the big bundles that are going to be coming up soon from all the streaming services I listen to podcasts where they'll have a VPN um, advertiser and they're basically hint hint nod nod if you have a Netflix subscription and if you change your country to France, this house, this show that you can't watch in America is suddenly available in France and you're fine. So there are... <laughs> there's so much. There's kind of- well, no, even like, I mean,
1: shoot, I was just over in Europe with my family a couple of weeks ago and we had Disney Plus and we booted it up. And there's this whole other, you know, they got like Pixar, Disney, Star Wars, Marvel. There's this whole other category there called Star. And it just had like all of Hulu's library and like all of Peacock's library. And I'm like, what is going on over here in Italy? So
0: yeah, the VPNs are overpowered. <laughs> They've got it good. Um, I remember being, I was waiting for a flight for like 24 hours in in Spain. My wife had flown back home early. I was headed to an onsite and I had nothing to do. And I wanted to watch TV and I'm like, well, none of the stuff I thought was here, but there's other stuff here on Netflix. All right, this is interesting. That was the first time I realized it. I have yet to do that, though, to actually get a
1: VPN and, and hack it like that.
0: I think the simplest thing is if you have a, a streaming subscription service with a VPN, just change your country. And that's that's the fun part. Like, that's the simplest way to use it. All right. I wrote about this last week. I wasn't going to write about it until I saw a bunch of other people comment on it. The AirPods Pros came out with an update last week. Do either of you have pros? I do. I have the AirPods Pro, but the first generation. Yeah, the squishy tips, right? Yes. You have, and you have the first gen, Luke? Yes. So I have a first gen, and then I bought a second gen. The difference between the two is, it's a big deal. I, I'll go on a run, and I can barely hear traffic, which probably not a safe thing, but that's another story. And I um, have been trying out the new conversational awareness, and if you're talking... It'll basically mute and or quiet what you're listening to, and they have a couple new modes. And I don't know if I'm using it wrong, but I don't like them. So that's why I was curious if either of you have been testing out these new modes. Basically, I've just gone back to on my AirPods, I either have transparency mode or uh, active noise canceling, and that's it. And I was kind of excited about the others, but I would be doing the dishes or trying to do something else, and the mode would just stop and start my podcast when I didn't want it to, or if my wife would come talk to me, I'd start responding, and it temporarily pauses the podcast, but not long enough, and it, it's been this whole thing, and I'm hoping it gets better, but at the moment, I don't think I'll be able to use those.
1: You think it's just like an AI issue?
0: I think it is. Uh, I heard another podcaster. He said uh, it was picking up his dog barking. So he's trying to listen to a podcast while going on a dog walk, and it keeps pausing (laughs) when his dog barks. And that's not the case where a simple little cheerful bark from a dog, that's going to be incredibly annoying if you're trying to use that feature.
1: Yeah, I can't think of much that would make me angrier while trying to use AirPods. Even now, like occasionally, they, they interrupt my music to tell me my text notifications, which is great sometimes. But other times, I'm like, I don't need to hear that my, you know, bill is due or whatever some automated text it is you know it's just and that nothing makes me angry quicker quicker than airpods doing what i don't expect
2: them you know how there's this new feature on the apple watch which which is like the it's not it's not quite out yet but the what do you call this the pinch double tap they should do something for the airpods you should be able to like nod to dismiss a notification or or shake your head
1: (laughs) yeah if you're freaking out it should at least take the hit (laughs)
2: the says do you want to reply and you should just be able to go shake your head no
0: that would be fantastic i've gotten to the point where I'm not trusting AI at all. Can you imagine you're just walking your dog, and you're just walking, and then you someone comes up to you and like you shaking your head? Nah, nah. The, the fastest way, actually, is just to pull out one of the AirPods, and then it auto-pauses. The, the Taking the time to get up there and squeeze to pause, it's not enough. When I run on the trail, anytime I come up to a, a person walking a dog, I want to pause because... I've been attacked several times. Dogs have charged me and I'm always ready for that interaction. <laughs> I get my pepper spray ready. And so I don't, I, I can't do two things at once. So if I have like some podcast talking about the history of the fall of Rome <laughs> and a dog's attacking me, my brain can't process both. So I always pause when I see other people. Do you know what else would be? Actually, look, I should, I think Apple should hire me. Another great gesture
2: would be you know, on the on the watch, there's the gesture where you can just sort of cover the screen, cover the face of your watch. Yeah, it sort of turns the screen to dim mode or whatever. I've never heard of this. What is this? Yeah, so you don't have an always on screen, or it's not enabled for you. Oh, because
1: you have it. Yours is dimmer.
2: Oh, instead of turning off, mine's always on. Yeah, so so it'll just go dim. But use the same gesture. You put you cup your hand over the top of your screen. It pauses your podcast while you talk. You just hold your hand over your wrist. And then when you're done, you take it off and your podcast resumes. Wouldn't that be good?
0: I think a double tap on my screen would be good to pause initially because then I might need to take my other hand off to shake their hand or something or talk to the person for a second and then double tap again. Or a little clap, you know, that little British clap. (laughs) (laughs) A a queen wave like this. Yeah. Um, This is more a topic I just threw in because, well, and actually being honest, all these topics are mine today. So I'm just enjoying this is the uh, things I want to talk about the show today. We love it. I've used every size iPad since they've come out. Not every m- model, but every size. My, I have an iPad Pro 12.9 inch just sitting. Actually, my, my daughter came in during this podcast to steal it and <laughs> go play on it. For my work, and my work is very specific, I use an iPad to sketch out designs ahead of time it's gotten so efficient that i don't like paper and pen because i'll find myself on the paper trying to tap the shortcuts to undo or to <laughs> switch the, the, the to an eraser or something the ipad is so fantastic and i have found the perfect form factor i'm actually going to put this in the show notes i have an ipad mini with a strap that goes across the back that i can hold it with one hand and it's it's completely safe so the hand's not gripping it's holding and the other hand i, I write that has been one of the most freeing ways of thinking it truly feels like i have a little notepad and i'm just thinking out loud and i use freeform on the ipad i sketch all my stuff out then move into figma or whatever so i'm hoping they come out with a new faster ipad it's just the perfect form factor it's a little beautiful slab of metal and glass so i'm curious do you Either of you use iPads, and if so, what form factors do you use?
2: No, I wish I used an iPad. I, like I want to say that I use an iPad. What I want to do is like use it as an external display, and you know, like maybe chuck my music on there or some, you know, some small little thing. And then when I need it, because you know, perhaps maybe <laughs> I'll need it, is to to write notes and do drawings and things like that. I think in reality. I'm probably not going to use it all that much if I buy one. It's going to be hard hard to justify, to be honest. Maybe I should just steal my wife's.
1: You know, just to, te- uh, just to go off of what Sadia said, I, I actually use my iPad more than not. Since I work at home and, you know, since I'm always trying to curb the addiction of my phone, I've started just not having my phone on me at all when I'm at home and then just kind of carrying the iPad around because I can answer messages. I can, you know, read, read my books that I'm working on on there. I can, you know, do all sorts of things on my iPad that I... The, the productive things that i would use my phone for and none of the unproductive things and plus even if you had like you know facebook on your ipad it's just not as i don't know what it is but it's not as addicting as having that like thing in your hand anyways but for ipad i mean i just use i've been using it a lot for um like vector design stuff uh for like little graphics little icons little stuff like that and I just have the standard size, and, you know, it works well for me. I, I don't really need the huge screen because I can zoom in to infinity and zoom out to infinity, so it's like, I don't know. I haven't really tried the big screen. Maybe my, maybe my life would be changed, and I could see why having a smaller one that you could just, like, strap onto your hand and walk around with would be really nice. No,
0: that's fantastic. Are you using, if designer or another? or Affinity designer. Oh, yeah, that's yep. such, a, such a great it's app. So good. I've found that I like the 12.9-inch when i'm at a desk and i like the mini when i'm not at a desk and for me uh the medium the size is in the middle Uh, i'm annoyed when i'm at a desk because it's not big enough and it's not quite mobile enough so that's why i have both extreme ends of it maybe a little excessive there are worse addictions it's it's my addiction (laughs) new hardware yeah you can justify it it's for work yes expense. I have been using Notion on and off for years, and they finally released an update I think two years ago that sped up the apps. Before it was incredibly slow, cumbersome, take forever to load some. I despise Notion; it, it is so disruptive to my workflow, to how I think. Heresy. I understand. I understand how it's the perfect database connection machine that I you can. Hate Notion too.
2: It's it. Wow! Yes. somebody else who hates Notion.
0: It's, Thank you. All right, number one, it logs me out. Uh, all every couple of weeks. So when I want to pull it open to check something, I'm logged out and I cannot log back in with an email and a password. I have to use their stupid email link And then I have to go to my email and I get distracted because I will see my inbox. Oh, man. The look on Luke's face. I have (laughs) not experienced one of these problems you've outlined so far. Head tilted, mouth adjust. This happens to me like almost every week when I've used Notion. And so then I have to tap on it. But the email takes about five minutes to come in. So I'm sitting in my inbox waiting. Forgot why I even tried to open Notion in the first place. Maybe this is because it was a client's notion and they had, um, it it might've been using like OAuth or something with Google. And that's why I kept getting knocked out. Then when I'm in there, the way the inner, when you're actually trying to build out a page with blocks. So Saudi and I have a long history of working with blocks in WordPress. When you have your content creation mode alongside your laying things out mode, nobody has figured it out. So when I'm just there, I'm in Notion to type out a doc and get my thoughts out. It does not do that as well as the Apple Notes app. So kudos to Sadia. Fantastic experience. But it's not as good as project management software that I like to use because it's everything. It's the everything app. So I get so frustrated every, when I just want to build something. I understand it perfectly connects everything together, but it does nothing as well as any of the other apps I prefer. So I'll, I'll, um, Sadia, I'll let you agree with me and then Luke... <laughs> you can go yeah you're right i it's it's
2: like the information architecture piece of it doesn't some it just doesn't work the way that i think maybe it works for some people but man like there's no folders and everything's a document but everything's also not a document and it just i'm i'm totally confused by it and then people get these really crazy sort of like situations where they turn it into their own software everything's
0: editable I don't know. It just I have a suspicion. It's too much that Sadia and I grew up in a folders-only world, and I've, I've worked with a ton of founders now who are in their early 20s, and they live in Notion. So, Luke, you have the floor. Well, I don't. I mean, I don't know. I mean,
1: pages are kind of essentially folders. You can just nest pages inside of pages inside of pages, and so you know, I, I have run into issues where it, you know, I've wanted to kind of treat Notion like a spreadsheet in some way or another and do some kind of calculation or whatever and it annoys me how uncustomizable it is and i just go back to the clunkiness of a spreadsheet i do like how it at least i mean maybe i don't really know what you guys are like what hairy use cases you guys are trying to force that thing through but i literally it's just so good for to
2: do no, tracking it's the, it's the opposite problem is i i don't have hairy use cases i have very very simple use cases And Notion is just way too complicated.
0: For me, it's three documents linked together that one has maybe a bio of an employee, the other is maybe a project, and the other is a to-do list. And there's just something about the, the information architecture model of how my brain is trying to move through them. I don't work that way. I either will have three screens side by side, or I go to a singular screen at a time, and Notion... It frustrates me. <laughs> I guess well so I what I love about it is I can link stuff. I can cross link like
1: crazy. Because I, I teach piano lessons as well. So I'll have like a whole set of databases of like exercises and whatnot. And then I'll have a whole set of data like another database for student information. And within each student, I'll go type like all my lesson notes. And if I want them to use this exercise, I just hit the buttons, hit link, and then I type in the name of the exercise and boom, it's linked right there. Then I can share the whole lessons page. They can't access any of the rest of my notion. I just publish it as a web page a static web page essentially they can see all their lesson notes then click and get my exercise links.
0: That's pretty cool. A completely unrelated question that I'm not asking for any specific reason. Uh, do you have availability for teaching students? Absolutely,
1: yes. Uh, hit me up, uh, <laughs> Luke Irvine on Thumbtack. <laughs> do do Luke you Irvine teach music. remotely? Yeah, most of my students are Zoom Zoom students. I actually developed an app. This kind of related to the podcast almost. I developed an app that show that takes MIDI data from a keyboard and highlights those keys on on the screen, which is a pretty Yeah, lots of people have though. I mean, there's lots of things that do that, but it's mostly for the sake of like recording MIDI data and then displaying it on YouTube or whatever. This is just like simple, hacky. Like throw it up, share your screen on Zoom, and it it shows. Like I use the chord AI library that shows you what chords you're playing up in the top right too. So yeah, so Zoom works great.
2: I'm gonna hit you up too, Luke. (laughs) I've got a piano at the house, but in the background you can see my drums. Oh yeah, sick. Various guitars. I got more guitars and, but. And I bought myself a keyboard amp, but I actually don't have an electric
0: piano yet. So, this is the next thing I'm going to purchase. And then I'll, I'll ask you about it. I'm just learning all this, so I'm very new. Uh, the, what's the balance of teaching by ear versus teaching by reading? I, I understand they're both important, but what what balance do you think is more successful for students? Obviously, it depends
1: on what you're looking for and depends on your skill set. Some people are... Let's
0: just... say good enough to play in church with a group. I would emphasize theory and playing by ear. I, I will potentially be in touch. <laughs> cool. Sweet. Hit me up. <laughs> I think that's it for today. We will see y'all next week, unless either of you have anything else. Well, Luke, I think that this means that you've got to write the music
2: for our podcast right you got to write the intro uh, outro music whatever i'll chime in
0: with a little bass you know but you gotta you gotta write the song let's do it i'm down i will send you luke that i already have prepped a list of 10 of my favorite podcast intros it's a blog post i wrote for another podcast we'll we'll talk offline cool (laughs) cool i'm stoked (laughs) thanks guys and we'll be back next week sweet thank you guys